0: Good morning once again, church. Let's continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5, we will be in verses 17 to 26 this morning, talking about the healing of the paralytic. There's a lot to get to this morning, and so we don't have time not to pray, and so we are going to go before the Lord now and ask His help. Please bow your heads. Father... um, we need you, we need you desperately you created us with a singular purpose to be united to you in relationship perfect intimacy and you created us to live that out in relationship with one another and God uh, we've We've messed that up royally, Uh, but we have grace, we have Jesus, he is worthy, and Lord I'm just struck with my unworthiness, any man's unworthiness to even communicate those truths, and yet you give us grace, Lord, so give me grace this morning as we look to this story that you've given us in your word about Jesus. Help us to love you more and love one another more as a result of it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well we are making our way through uh, a sermon series called Jesus and the Kingdom of God. Uh, I told you the first week that we were kinda building the airplane as we flew it in this series. It's starting to take a little bit more shape Uh, So, this week is kind of the fourth sermon of an introduction to the life of Jesus, who he was, and what he was all about. And uh, as I've looked at the different Gospels, realized we could spend literally eight years on the life of Jesus. And so we're just going to have to not do that. Um, We're going to have to skip over some things. Uh, But uh, uh, each week, we're going to want to be intentional about the story that we choose to talk about for that week. And so this week, we're concluding a a mini-series on just who is Jesus, why did he come not come. What was he all about? And then starting next week, we're going to spend four weeks or so on the teaching of Jesus, uh, which we see starting in Luke chapter 6. And so that's where we're going next week. But this week we're concluding by telling the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And one of the goals that I have as we're spending time in the Gospels is to give you tools in your toolbox for studying the Gospels. We said last week there's uh, we've all kind of had this experience I'm sure where maybe you're in your quiet time and you read a story about Jesus and you get to the end you think That's nice, but I just don't really know what to do with that. I don't really know how to apply it. I don't really know what it means for me. And so last week, you hopefully remember, I gave you three questions to ask yourself. Do you remember what those... Oh, don't, take them away, take them away. Okay, that was... Do you remember what those questions were? You just saw them. What's the first one? What does this story teach me about? God, you guys all saw it. What's the second one? What does the story teach me about myself Okay, maybe you saw the first one didn't quite get read into the second line. That was a little bit more mumbled. Uh, so what does the story teach me about God? What does this story teach me about myself? And then third, what does this story teach me about? Good job. We all got that one right again. What does the story teach me? There we go. There's the answer key up there. You all get a passing grade today. Now here's the problem, right? Sometimes. I imagine you could read a gospel story. Maybe you tried it this week. I don't know. I hope I hope you did. Uh, maybe you tried it this week and you got to the end and you thought, I still don't really know, like what to do. Like I don't know the answers to these questions. I don't know what it teaches me about God or myself or the gospel. That's okay. Uh, So what I want to do this morning is give you two more tools in your tool belt, toolbox, whatever you want to say. And uh, so we'll have five questions to answer this morning. At this rate, uh, we're going to have to answer 120 questions by the end of this uh, sermon series about each story in the gospels. But We'll slow down, but this morning we're going to answer five questions. So there's two more tools that I want to give you, two more questions, questions to ask yourself as you're reading a story of the gospels and they're very literary these two so your fifth grade teacher is going to be super happy and proud of you that you are uh talking about we're talking about these things in church some of you like love literature and you love uh raise your hand if you're one of those people maybe you're even a, a teacher that teaches these things okay so that's good so we got a handful of us not very many though so we got some work to do that's okay here's the first question that we need to ask about every single gospel story which is simply who are the main characters who are the main characters and then the second question is what is the climax of this story what is the climax? Now, if we don't know, this is why it's important. Is every gospel story has a lot of different characters in it. Uh, but usually there's a main character that the whole point of the story revolves around that person. And if we miss the main character, we might miss the point Of the entire story, and we actually have a really good example of that this morning. And then this, likewise, if we miss the climax, so every gospel story has like a climax of tension in the story. And this is how I had a New Testament professor who taught me this. Uh, uh, This is a great way to think of it, I think. If you're a basketball fan, you'll identify with this analogy. But like, imagine that you're watching a March Madness game. I might have even shared this before. You're watching a March Madness game. Game is tied, and no time is left on the clock and somebody has just like released a three-pointer and it's halfway in the air and you pause the pause it right there okay this is the climax of the tension of the game because there's two outcomes right the ball could either go in the team wins or not go in and I guess I said it was tied so I guess it's going to overtime in this analogy right the same is true of most of the gospel stories that we read. There's this moment of the climax of tension where if we pause it right there, it could go one of two ways. And if we recognize that, and that's each writer has done that intentionally, we're just not very good because only three of us raise our hand. We're just not very good at reading literature, so we just miss it sometimes, right? So we need to re- intentionally have eyes open to see these things. And this story this morning are great examples of both of these things, so we're going to look at at it together, and so uh, before we do anything, I should read the story, uh, and, and it's a great story, and then we'll talk about it. So look with me. Hopefully, you have your you've turned there in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter five. We're going to start in verse seventeen. It says this: On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right, so that's our story. So it's this first question, who are the main characters who are the main characters well let's just talk about let's just list off who are all the characters and then we'll try to see if we can figure out who the main characters are so who are the just call it out who are the people that you see in the story jesus good job everyone got if you missed that one whoo we got to just kind of back it up maybe and start before yeah so jesus is in the story very good who are some other characters the paralyzed man who else Uh, yep his friends i think somebody probably said who else The, the pharisees right and who else there's one more somebody i think just yelled it John Kroon gets a gold star. Today, the crowd is, in, is the fifth. So, we have these five characters in the story. And the question is who are the main characters? Now, that's not always super clear right away. So, we need to figure out who are the most important people. And there's one who's always a main character, and I think literally every story, and that is Jesus. Very good, everybody. And so, the question is there, who is the other main character? in this story. Now, if you're like me and you read it, the first thought is the paralyzed man, right? The guy who came and he was paralyzed and he needed healing and his friends uh, wanted to help him out. They couldn't get in. They let him down on the roof. Jesus heals him. He walks away glorifying God. However, I'm going to argue that that is actually not one of the main characters of this story. interesting, right? Who do we think, here's a question, who do we see introduced first, right away, in the story? The Pharisees, okay? Now, the man comes down through the roof. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And who does Luke tell us about right after that? Who does he draw our attention to? The Pharisees, not the man, right? He doesn't say anything about what the man's reaction to Jesus saying his sins are forgiven. We just have to kind of guess about that. He tells us what the Pharisees thought i'm going to argue that the main character of this story is actually two main characters jesus and the pharisees so to understand what's going on here we need to know a little bit about the pharisees and to know a little bit about the pharisees we need to remember about the old testament so i hope i've i sense that we might lose you here so just don't Go away! All right, just stick with me here. It's gonna thank you, Jenna. So it's gonna it's going it's gonna be worth it. So back in the book of Daniel, when we were studying the book of Daniel, we talked about the book of Deuteronomy, and at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, there's a section that lays out two things: one thing if Israel would obey, one thing if Israel would disobey. With specific names, if they obeyed, it was called the blessings good job i knew it and if they disobeyed it was called the curses hey that was we we got some people that who remember that very good so we had the blessing section and the curses section now the blessing section said if you follow God's law, and you can read it in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, I believe, it says if you follow God's law, then God is going to bless you, bless Israel, by defeating your enemies and setting you above every nation on earth and essentially bringing the kingdom of God to earth if they follow the law. And if they didn't follow the law, what was going to happen? Bad stuff, right? And they're going to get into exile, and then we saw that in the book of Daniel, So here's what we have to know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were still clinging to that blessing section in the book of Deuteronomy. Even this is long after Israel has been disobedient and uh, long after they've been sent into exile. But the Pharisees believe, and you got to give them credit for it because it's what God's word said. The Pharisees believe if we can just get enough People to stink and do what the Torah says, the law says, then God will bless us and his kingdom will come to earth by way of defeating Israel's enemies and putting Israel on top. Does that make sense? So, so the Pharisees are essentially calling back to the beginning of the beginning, Say, come on, guys, and they're like an influence group, like a pressure group. So they try to intimidate people and say, you need to follow God's law, so that God's kingdom will come. Now, the Pharisees had a big problem because there was this guy walking around who was also talking about the kingdom of God. You see that? So the Pharisees are trying to bring the kingdom by obedience to the Torah. There's somebody else who has come who's talking about the kingdom, but he's talking about it all wrong. You see that? And in fact, he's actually saying the kingdom is here now. This is a huge problem for the Pharisees. And so what do they do? They send people from all over. Look at verse 17. I'm way off in my notes here. Look at verse 17. The Pharisees and the teacher of law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal so this was intimidating. This was meant to be intimidating, having these Pharisees and teachers of the law from all over coming and sitting in this house where Jesus was teaching. It's not a perfect analogy, but kind of think of it almost like it, like in the 60s if there was like a civil rights leader talking about ending Jim Crow and a bunch of KKK people showed up in their clan hoods just sitting there, right? They're meant to intimidate this person to stop sharing their message. Does that make sense? That's what the Pharisees are doing here. So what we have at the very beginning of this story is a showdown <laughs> between Jesus and these Pharisees. Now, this is the first time we learn about the Pharisees in Luke. So this is, there's going to be more showdowns, as you know. This is the first one. They've come from all over, and they are uh, coming to deal with this problem of this guy who's talking about the kingdom of God. So essentially, they're probably coming to verify the things that they have heard. All right, that sets up our story Now the scene changes for a minute from the Pharisees and the director kind of puts us now in a different scene and we see this paralyzed man and his friends. Look at verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of the before jesus this is one of those things man i just wish we had more detail about this right like if we had more time we could maybe think about how excited these guys would have been when they first heard about jesus because when you have a friend who's paralyzed you don't have any hope of him walking until you hear about this guy named jesus who's performing miracles right so, they think maybe this is our chance. And so, you can just picture them. If we had more time, we'd think about picture them showing up. And then they're all yelling at, like, one of them is like, I told you we were supposed to get here earlier. <laughs> we can't get in there now, and it's your fault. And then maybe we can imagine one of them just joking, like, well, the only way we're getting in is through the roof. And then maybe just kind of all s- sits in on them, like, wait a second. That's not a bad idea. Everyone has a friend like that, right? And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. And so they do it, right? Then we can think about what the owner of that home would have been thinking. And maybe he's yelling at these guys, threatening to sue them as he's digging through these ceiling tiles. And then, right, the the ceiling opens up slowly and they let him down. And he's right in front of Jesus. And I imagine a hush goes over the crowd, right? Like there's chaos as there probably people are yelling and screaming and letting this guy down. And then I imagine a hush goes over the crowd as this man is right at Jesus' feet and they all want to know what's going to happen because, let's face it, this is why they all showed up, right? This is what they wanted to see. This healer, this guy's been paralyzed his whole life. Is Jesus actually going to heal him? And the Pharisees thinking the same thing. Okay, if he heals him, we have a big problem on our hands, right? Because he's doing all these signs. So a hush goes over the crowd, and what does Jesus say? Something completely unexpected. Verse 20, when he saw their faith, meaning the faith of the friends actually, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Whoa, okay. No one was expecting that. Every single person, from the man on the bed to his friends to the crowds to even the Pharisees, were expecting an attempt at healing, right? We don't know what was going to happen, but they were all expecting to see an attempt to heal this man. And instead, Jesus says his sins are forgiven, which leads the Pharisees and scribes to ask them to question among themselves. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question. Saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they're not wrong about that, right? God is the only one who can forgive sin. And there's only one way that God forgives sin. What is it? The Torah. (laughs) The sacrificial system that has been laid out in the law that the Pharisees are trying to get people to follow. So now you see the Pharisees actually have a bigger problem on their hands. (laughs) Because there's only one way for sin to be forgiven. And God told us in his word that he gave us. And this man is here saying that he can forgive sins outside of the sacrificial system that God gave us this is a major problem so they say this is blasphemy because only god can forgive sin and jesus knows what they're thinking he says this verse 22 when jesus perceived their thoughts he answered them why do you question in your hearts and he asked this question which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk All right, so this is is where it starts to get really good. So if you've been tuned out, tune back in right here. Because I want you to think about this question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? What's the answer? It depends, right? I mean, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Why? There's no physical evidence that that has happened. I could just say, your sins are forgiven, and you just have to take my word for it, <laughs> you know? So yeah, so in some ways, it's easier to just say, your sins are forgiven. So look what Jesus says in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So he's talking to the Pharisees, so that you may know that the Son of Man, that should be raising your Daniel bells, right? The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, and then he turns to the paralytic, says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that leads us to the climax of our story, right? The ball is in the air, pause it, and this could go one of two ways, couldn't it? It's so brilliant the way that Jesus has set this up. Because either Jesus has the authority to forgive sin or he doesn't. That's what this whole thing is about. Can Jesus actually forgive sin? And so now he's told him, rise, get up, and walk. So it could go one or two ways. Let's say he doesn't get up and walk. Well, now the Pharisees can breathe a sigh of relief, right? Okay, Whew. This guy's just a kook. Nobody's going to listen to him anymore. Crowds will go home, talk about how embarrassing it was for Jesus. And then, sadly, right, the paralyzed man is going to realize that he's just been bamboozled by this guy. He's going to have the realization sink in. I'm going to be paralyzed my whole life. If he doesn't get up, then Jesus is is a phony. Jesus is putting it all on the line right here. But if he does get up, now the Pharisees have a massive problem on their hand because it's not just some mystic healer guy who's going around who's getting crowds to follow him so he can heal them. This is a guy who's claiming the authority to forgive sin. This is crazy. So what happens? Well, you know what happens. Verse 25. Immediately, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. He did it. He healed them. And the crowd is astonished, verse 26. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And that's an understatement, isn't it? All right, so what do we learn about God? God. Well, we learn that he has the authority to forgive sin. And this is why, just as a side note, it's so important that we understand the main characters and the climax of the story. Because if we didn't get that right, we might say something like, well, this story teaches us that if we're just persistent and creative enough to overcome the obstacles in our life, and we have the right people around us who are going to help us, right, then we can get to Jesus and, and he'll fix our problems. But that's not what this story is talking about. This story is a standoff between a group of people who think they have the world all figured out and the son of God who infiltrated that world with an authority that had never been seen before or since he has the authority to forgive sins. Why is that? Let's think about it. Think about, let's say this morning, right, you get to church and uh, our parking lot has been plowed beautifully of snow. Uh, so but let's say that uh, as you're backing out uh, of, uh, after church this morning you back right into somebody's car and just boom crunch you know, that, that sinking feeling you know, comes over you're like oh no what did I do and then you panic you're like oh man my insurance premiums are going to go way up and you look around nobody saw you so just you just peel out and uh, you hope that we don't have security cameras outside the building which we do by the way so uh, so let's say you got away with it right and then all week, it's just eating you up, eating you up. And so finally, you call church, you're like, uh, I need to meet with Pastor Mike. Can you come in and sit in my office? Because I have to confess. Ran into this person's car and I, and I went away. I drove away. I didn't say anything. Imagine that I say to you, you know what? Thank you for confessing and it's forgiven. Don't, don't even worry about it. Don't even think about it. Another minute, it's all gone. What's wrong with that picture? It's not my car. <laughs> I. I don't have the authority to do that. You have a problem with the person whose car you hit, not me. See where I'm getting at? Only Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. Why? Because our sin is against him. Which means he's God. When we sin against somebody, it's always twofold. It's sin against God and it's sin against the brother or sister that you You sinned against. Only Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And he does. Because he's that kind of God. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Because there's something else we see in here. What do we learn about ourselves is the second question we need to ask. And this is is key. What do I learn about myself? I learn in this passage a lot... But I learned that my biggest need isn't physical. My biggest need is not a physical need. Now we have... At our church, a lot of people who come from our community and they need financial assistance for various things that are going on in their lives. And uh, we have a neighbor's team who does a, just an incredible job. It is a lot of work uh, what they do um, to make sure that we are helping the right people with the resources that we have and, um, and ministering to them. But what's so difficult about the job is that for many of them, they don't know the Lord And what's so difficult is helping people see that even though you have a legitimate need, it's not your biggest problem. And if you go away from here, and we've only solved your, let's say, financial need, your water bill or whatever, medical bill, that is genuinely pressing and genuinely messing up a lot in your life. But if we've only solved that, you haven't had your biggest needs fulfilled let's think about the paralyzed man he couldn't walk he couldn't provide for himself and yet what if jesus had only healed him that's what he came to jesus for what if jesus only gave him what he came for well he would have gotten sick and died eventually And he wouldn't have really been better off, except he would have had, you know, a little bit easier life in between. Your biggest need is a spiritual need. It is the sin that you have committed against the Father. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. That would have been almost borderline offensive that he didn't try to heal him if it wasn't true and actually the greatest possible news that Jesus could have given him. So your biggest need is not a physical need apart from Christ. No matter how legitimately difficult that is, it is a spiritual need. You need the Son of Man to look you square in the eye and say, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And that's the beauty that we learn about the gospel in this story, is that Jesus solves your biggest need. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, pick up your bed, and walk? You know what the answer is? The second one, by far. Why? Because what did it take to have your sins forgiven? What did we just celebrate this morning? The cross. The blood that was shed for you. So, when Jesus says, What is easier to say? He knows that the crowd thinks it's easier to say, Your sins are forgiven. Because the crowd's going to be blown away by this miracle. But Jesus knows what's actually way harder which is his obedience to go to the cross and solve the greatest need that this man had and that anyone has who comes to them in faith. And here's where this is hard, right? Why did Jesus heal him? Why did Jesus heal the paralytic man? To show that he had the authority to forgive sins. Sometimes Jesus solves your physical need So that you can see that he can take care of your spiritual need as well. Sometimes he does that. But it's not always. Sometimes Jesus doesn't solve your physical need. So that you can know that his grace is sufficient for you. Man, that's hard. I don't know where you are at right now with that. Maybe you came in this morning praising God because you saw him work in a miraculous way. And if that's true, may that drive you to, to celebrate the gospel even more. And maybe you're coming in this morning wounded and hurting because you, you, can't even, you, you struggle to even step into the door of a church because you feel like God has let you down. Let me just say, if that's you, press on, because he knows what your biggest need is. So don't believe the lie that if God hasn't solved your problem yet, it's because he's angry with you or upset with you or not sufficient for you. Now, maybe God's trying to get your attention by allowing this thing to linger, whatever it is. But he's, maybe he just wants you to know that his grace is sufficient. But he's not punishing you. Man, this is a tremendous story of God solving an incredible physical need to show us that he has the authority to fix your greatest need. Jesus has all authority to forgive sin because he is the son of God who died on the cross and rose again. And if you have repented and trusted in him in faith, he has forgiven your sin. And this is the greatest thing that could have happened in your lifetime, and it happened. So what do we do? Hopefully, we leave here like the crowd that was leaving that house. Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. If you're in Christ, you have seen extraordinary things, and you will continue to see extraordinary things. And so let's praise God for what he's done. Amen? Just bow your heads with me. Let's pray, well, Father God. We thank you that we can say, along with the crowd, we have seen extraordinary things. God, we know, I know, that there are so many incredible physical needs that you have provided for in a miraculous and amazing ways that are represented right here in this body. Mm-hmm. And we praise you for that, God. We thank you. You are a loving Father who takes care of us. And so when that has happened, we give glory to you. And I pray that when those things happen, what that does is show us even more. If you can take care of that, you can take care of our biggest need. Lord, we also know that there are some in here walking through a season where they have not seen you provide for that need right now. Maybe it's healing Maybe it's something else. Lord, if that's the case, may we know that your grace is sufficient. And what is so much better than you saying, rise, pick up your mat and walk, is when you look us in the eye and you say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Thank you.